Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, The Future is Now, Updates on Durable VEGF Suppression, is provided by Prova Education. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. It's an exciting time to be an ophthalmologist, especially a retinal physician. We now have multiple new and novel strategies to treat our patients with neovascular age-related macular degeneration and diabetic macular edema. So what are they and how should we be using them in practice? This is CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Caroline Bommel, and joining me today for the discussion is Dr. Carl Regillo, who is a colleague, a friend, and a mentor. Carl, it's great to have you here. Well, thanks so much, Caroline. Uh, real pleasure to be here with you. Let's start with a case. This is a 51-year-old female who's a non-insulin-dependent diabetic and has poor glucose control. It's amazing she'd never seen an ophthalmologist before, and she came in with vision of 20 over 200 in the right eye and 20 over 60 in the left eye. And I think what's notable is that if we look at the OCT here on the cube, as well as on the structural OCT, she has marked center-involving diabetic macular edema. It's also notable that in the right eye, she has a lamellar hole. This lady was treated with 12 anti-VEGF injections over 16 months. So she almost had monthly bilateral injections. And this was really the maximal interval that she could come in and have a treatment, remembering that she had a job, she had children, and she had other needs that she needed to take care of related to her diabetes. Of note, she also had some other types of treatment. She had a steroid injection, and she had focal laser as well. And we can see if we look at the OCT on follow-up 16 months later, it certainly looks improved, but it is not back to normal. The swelling now, the edema is now external to the fovea, but it's still present and marked on the cube. Caroline, this is a great case and very typical case of DME, moderately severe, requiring a lot of anti-VEGF therapy, among other things if you've utilized here to try to get the edema better, and you did. Uh, but going forward, this patient's likely to lead uh, more treatment, more, more therapy. Um, we now have ferisumab as an FDA-approved therapy uh, to treat DME. Uh, how do you see it fitting in for this patient? Well, Carl, this patient highlights so many of the issues that we see every day. Um, patients who haven't had time to even consider seeing the ophthalmologist, and when they come in, it's too late, then requiring almost monthly treatment, which we know is effective, but it is a burden on patients, caregivers, and even on physicians to maintain this sort of really unrealistic to have monthly treatment in the short term and in the long term. So I think that to have treatments that have longer durability will improve the findings for our patients, for their visions, and will allow us to treat more people successfully. And I'd like to highlight furosemab, which is a bispecific molecule that targets and neutralizes not only VEGF-A, which is an agent that we've been targeting for the last 15 years, but it also targets and neutralizes ANG2, 
which is a key player in vascular stability from the angiopoietin tie to pathway. And furosemab was evaluated in the two phase three Yosemite and Rhine trials. And furosemab demonstrated durable efficacy with the two-year results most recently uh, released at angiogenesis. One thing that's notable is that furosemab was dosed up to every 16 weeks. And this was shown in the PTI, the personalized treatment interval arm of the study. And looking at this, 78% of patients at the end of two years were on every 12-week or every 16-week dosing, and 62% of patients were on every 16-week dosing. Furosemab also demonstrated comparable visual acuity gains when compared to the aflibercept comparator arm. Furosemab demonstrated improved anatomic outcomes with dosing up to every 16 weeks compared to aflibercept dosing every eight weeks. And this included favorable change in central subfield thickness, more of the furosemab-treated patients achieved absence of diabetic macular edema, and more of these patients achieved absence of intraretinal fluid. Also notable was that furosemab was well-tolerated, and there were no unusual safety concerns. For those just tuning in, this is CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Caroline Baumel, and I'm joined by Dr. Carl Regillo to discuss the latest strategies in treatment of diabetic macular edema and neovascular AMD. Let's uh, switch gears now and talk about neovascular AMD. I have a case here. It's pretty typical. This is a 77-year-old female with acute distortion and blur symptoms in her left eye for about three weeks. She came in, as shown, with a fluorescein angiogram indicating wet AMD. There's leaking coronary vascularization here, and the OCT shows typical features, subretinal fluid and CNV. Interficial acuity in this affected eye was decreased at 2060. So we started her on a course of anti-VEGF therapy utilizing aflibercept initially monthly. She was responding really well. Her initial course here shows that just after two treatments, the macula is drying up nicely, and interficial acuity is improving to 2030 now. And we then started to just do the typical treat and extend approach. We extended her treatment interval by two weeks. At six weeks, she still looked really good, 20-30 vision, holding well. But when we tried to get to eight weeks, this is when we started to see recurrent fluid and her visual acuity started to drop. So that is not something I would want to tolerate when the visual acuity declines with recurrent exudation. So typical treat and extend regimen, we reduced the treatment interval back down to six weeks. And again, at six weeks, looking good, but eight weeks just didn't cut it. So We've got a good response, good outcome, at least initially, with a flibercept injections up to every six weeks, but unfortunately, not much more durable than that, because every time we went to eight, we got recurrent fluid. Treatment for this patient's interesting, Carl, because would you want to try to extend the treatment interval with one of the newer agents, berlicizumab or furosemab? What's your approach? Yeah, absolutely. We now have what a lot of us are calling sort of second-generation anti-VEGFs recently approved, FDA-approved for treating wet AMD. That includes bolicizumab. Uh, it performed well in clinical trials, non-inferior to aflibercept, uh, with a bit less frequent dosing. Uh, about half the patients were able to be dosed in, in controlled disease up to 12 weeks at the treatment intervals through years one and two. 
and that's pretty impressive. Um, and then we have Ferisimab, uh, also FDA approved now for treatment of neovascular AMD, and it also performed really well in the pivotal phase three studies, again, being non-inferiatory flibercept and dosed less frequently. Uh, and in fact, the Ferisimab phase three program had dosing intervals at the end of year one, the primary endpoint, um, where over 75% of patients were being dosed every 12 weeks and, and uh, about 45 or so percent of patients were dosed even uh, longer at every 16 weeks. So we have two new drugs uh, that are definitely more durable, particularly ferisumab, looking, uh, looking very impressive in that regard. And Carl, what about the safety of these agents? We, we know that rolucizumab can cause intraocular inflammation and has been associated with this uncommon finding of occlusive retinal vasculitis. How should we use brolucizumab? And are there any safety concerns about ferisumab? Yeah, you're right. Um, unfortunately, with brolucizumab, even though it performed well clinically in terms of efficacy, uh, there were safety issues. It was significant imbalance with higher rates of intraocular inflammation. It was at times severe. And as you mentioned, with um, some direct retinal effects with occlusions and vision loss, and so, uh, unfortunately, most people do not consider it um, something for first line because of the safety concerns. And that's where ferisumab, I think, shines. Uh, we get that same added durability or even greater durability, uh, but with a better safety profile. It was a slight imbalance in intraocular inflammation in the phase three trials in the neo neovascular MD program, but um, it was really small and there were not any cases of uh, retinal vasculitis or vasculitis-related occlusion. So definitely better safety profile. And so for a case like this where we want to get better durability, I think ferisumab is probably the next best choice. Carl, what about the port delivery system? Yeah, that's another uh, potentially really good option for really any of our wet AMD patients that want to decrease the treatment burden, as we've been talking about. And here we have another FDA-approved uh, true sustained delivery-like approach. Um, so what is port delivery? Of course, it's an intraocular reservoir device. Uh, it's FDA approved back in October 2021, and it delivers a customized high-concentration version of ranibizumab in a slow-release fashion. And this device, you can refill in the office. So it's a one-time trip to the OR to put the device in um, and then refilled in the office. And so that's a consideration for anyone uh, wanting uh, to get some truly sustained delivery of an anti-VEGF. And so how did it perform? Well, in phase three, it performed really well. Obviously, it met its primary endpoint, so it was FDA approved. And we now have just recently shown are the 96 weeks, so end of study outcomes for that phase three archway study. And, and again, Port delivery system performed really, really well. It controlled exudation and held vision really well and essentially identical to gold standard monthly injections of ranibizumab. And even more so, um, not only is this good demonstration of sustained delivery uh, with no less than six months uh, with very, very rare uh, rescue or supplemental treatments needed in the course of the trial, um, patients also are really satisfied with the notion of having the port. So patients in the study were asked, well, you've received injections before to get into this study and you now have the port, what do you prefer? And the vast majority um, uh, were very happy with and preferred the port over getting ongoing injections. It's also important to consider, of course, because the port delivery system is a device um, and it takes a trip to the OR to place the device, there are some unique safety issues. 
And a lot of the safety aspects, adverse events, for example, specifically associated with a device, are related to surgical technique, and that's an important consideration. But you can expect patients that have the device will have increased risk for or increased rates of vitreous hemorrhage, conjunctival retraction erosion, and endophthalmitis, greater than if the patient was to continue with intravitreal injections. So in terms of safety and learning about the surgical techniques, and for those interested in learning more about best practices with the port delivery system, please visit eyehealthacademy.org. Carl, what about intraretinal fluid with the PDS? We use OCT to help manage our patients, and should we look at intraretinal fluid with the PDS in the same way as with intravitreal anti-VEGF injections? Yeah, that's a really good question because it may not be the same uh, as we currently think about fluid or recurrent fluid in managing wet AMD, um, mainly because, you know, you're dealing with true sustained delivery. So it basically wears off much, much slower. So we shouldn't have, we shouldn't be compelled uh, to necessarily jump on every little bit of recurrent fluid with a patient that has the port. Um, it's, it's not as time sensitive or as urgent as it would be if you're doing intravitreal injections, which wear off much faster. You know, we've discussed several great new treatment options today. As we wrap up here, what are your takeaway messages for our audience? Carl, I think with these second generation and novel agents, we've been able to see better drying on the OCT with these agents. And of course, safety is paramount concern for our patients. We always want any new treatment to be safe and worry-free. Uh, very true. And, um, and I'll add to that, we're talking uh, you know, significantly greater durability with frisimab being injected intravitually, and even more so, of course, with sustained delivery utilizing the port delivery system. And um, that is going to lead to greater patient satisfaction. Caroline, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a great discussion. Carl, it was great to talk to you, as always, about these upcoming exciting topics in retina. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com prova. Thank you for listening.